Good morning. I'm Jonathan, and I'm going to be reading our Bible readings this morning. So our first reading is taken from Psalm 51, starting at verse 14. And you can follow along in your Bibles and uh, your phones and hopefully up on the screen as well. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Now moving on to Luke chapter 5. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance they said to him 
John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. Thanks, Jonathan, and good morning again, everyone. Um, a few years ago, when I was in uni, I invited uh, a friend along to one of the Bible talks that the, the Christian group on the uni campus was doing, and, and um, he was nice about it, but, but basically he said to me, look, Mark, I, I just don't think I need that. I don't need that in my life. And maybe you've heard people give similar responses when, you, when you've tried to, tried to sort of invite them along to, to church things, or, or maybe that might be how you feel as well, that, that there are two types of people in the world. There's, there's those who need Jesus and need religion, and there's those who don't need it, those who are perfectly fine without it. Uh, well, the events of Luke chapter 5 that we've just read are here to show us that that's not quite right. Uh, everyone, everyone needs Jesus. The two types of people in the world are the people who know they need Jesus and the people who don't know and we're going to explore that this morning by looking at the healing that Jesus offers, the people who Jesus calls, and then the change that Jesus demands. Um, so firstly, we're going to be looking at the healing that Jesus offers. Um, there are two miraculous healings that we see in this chapter. Uh, the first one was just before we began our reading. Um, I don't think the screen's working at the moment, but in... Um, Luke chapter 5, verse 12, uh, we read that while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Uh, now, leprosy back in that time was, it was kind of a blanket disease, for, for all, a blanket term for all sorts of bad sort of skin diseases. Uh, that you could get. Um, it meant that you were, you were unclean under Jewish law. Um, you had to isolate, which is probably something that most of us are somewhat familiar with doing at some point over the last couple of years. But, but, but more than that, it meant that you were a social outcast. Uh, nobody wanted to be unclean, and by touching a person with, with leprosy, you became unclean. And, and so nobody would have wanted to have anything to do with this man, except for Jesus. Uh, in verse 13, we read that Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Um, so instead of Jesus becoming 
unclean, Jesus makes the man clean. And this is more than just a miraculous physical healing that Jesus is doing here. That There's something deeper behind it, which becomes clearer a little bit later on with the healing of the paralyzed man. Uh, in the passage we, we read, we, um, we saw that there were some men who, who carried a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him to the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And, and we're expecting that Jesus is going to heal this man. But instead, we read that when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Which feels a bit anticlimactic, right? Doesn't it? We're expecting a miracle and, and Jesus just says his sins are forgiven. But it's not because Jesus knew that this man had a bigger problem than being paralyzed. There's something that he needs even more than physical healing. Uh, and this is true for, for all humanity. Jesus is speaking to us today. Our biggest problem today, it's not inflation, not interest rates, it's not the war in Ukraine, it's not terrorism, it's not any of the struggles each of us is going through right now, as serious and as awful as those things might be. Humanity's biggest problem is what the Bible calls sin. God created us, we rejected him, we, we chose to live for ourselves rather than for God. And even when we try to obey him, we, we can't always get it right. And so we deserve God's judgment. And that's, that's a big problem. In fact, it's the problem that lies at the root of all the other problems that we have in the world around us and in our own lives. And it has consequences that are going to last into eternity as well. And so Jesus' heart goes out to this paralyzed man because of the, the physical condition that he's in. But Jesus knows there's an even bigger problem that this man has. And so that's the problem that Jesus deals with first. And if you're here this morning just checking church out, checking out what Christianity is all about, this is the uncomfortable truth that lies right at the heart of the Bible's message. We have a, a big, big problem that we're powerless to solve. Now, in our world today, it's, it's offensive to talk about sin, isn't it? Um, you know, how dare you say that I'm, that I'm flawed? How dare you say that I'm not good enough? For the religious Jews back then, it would have, they would have had a completely different perspective on this. Of course, sin is real. They would have thought they wouldn't have had any doubt about that. What, what would have been offensive for them is Jesus saying that he's the one who can forgive it. Uh, we read that the, the Pharisees and, and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And you can see their logic here, can't you? Sin is something that we do against God, and, and so only God has the right to forgive it. And it, it's a huge claim that Jesus is making here, saying that he is able to forgive sin. Uh, and so Jesus says to them next, well, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And the point, the point he's making here is that it's easier to tell someone that their sins are forgiven, right? Because there's no way of disproving that at all. Um, if you tell someone that you've healed their disability, that, that's pretty easy to, to prove or disprove. And so Jesus then tells the man, look, get up and walk. 
And the man gets up and walks. And the point here is that by doing the miraculous, visible thing, healing the paralyzed man, Jesus is proving that, that he has the power to do the miraculous, invisible thing. The thing that only God can do. Forgiving sin. Now, it might have been easy for Jesus to say that the man's sins were forgiven, but it wasn't easy to achieve. Uh, Because to forgive our sins, Jesus had to die in our place. He had to take all of our sin, all of our uncleanness on himself so that we could be clean in God's sight. Which shows us the meaning behind Jesus healing the man with leprosy. Jesus didn't just come to make people clean and healthy on the outside. He came to make us clean on the inside. This is the true healing that Jesus brings. It's it's what all of his physical healings are meant to point us towards. Saving us from our sins. Uh, Which brings us to our next point, which is the people who Jesus calls. Now, if Jesus came to, to save people from their sins, you might expect that he would start with the low-hanging fruit, wouldn't you? You know, the, the people who, you know, they're still sinners, but they're, they're pretty good. They're, they're living pretty good, polished sort of lives. Uh, but Luke chapter 5 really just blows that out of the water by introducing us to, firstly, Simon, and then to Levi. Uh, so at the start of Luke chapter 5, uh, we meet Simon, who um, we heard all about in the all-ages spot. Uh, Simon's a fisherman who, who watches, as we very visibly saw just before, he, he sees Jesus pr- produce a, a miraculous catch of fish. And, and he sees this, and, and he falls at Jesus' knees, and he, and he says to him, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Uh, so Simon realizes that, that Jesus is someone special. And as he realizes that, he's confronted by his own unworthiness. He, he, says to, he says to Jesus, look, you shouldn't be hanging out with a guy like me. Uh, but what does Jesus say to Simon? He, he says to him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And so they, Simon and his fishing buddies, they pull their boats up on the shore. They left everything and they follow Jesus. They left everything and they follow Jesus. See, Jesus came to call people who recognize the gravity of their sin and wholeheartedly choose to follow him. Uh, We see this soon afterwards with Levi as well. Uh, Jesus went out. He saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. and, And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, a bit like the man with leprosy, we, we really only get what's going on here if we realize how people thought about tax collectors back then. Tax collectors were Jewish people who, were, who they worked for the Roman Empire, and basically their job was to extort money out of their fellow Jews. So that they, they were traitors. Their, their, their fellow Jews hated them. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you, when you walk through the, the CBD and there's a... a um, parking inspector going around putting tickets on cars and, and you walk past them. They, they never make eye contact with you. They, they always just kind of look at the ground or look at the next car. They've got a ticket. They never, they never look you in the eye. It, it's like there's this unspoken assumption that, that you see them as the enemy. Um, now, if you picture that, um, hello to any parking inspectors who are here. <laughs> I don't think you're an enemy, don't worry. Um, but, but if you picture that kind of tense 
parking inspector, civilian kind of relationship that, that plays out each day. Picture that, except that instead of just fining you 100 bucks or whatever a ticket costs these days, the, the, the parking inspector was able to add his own cut onto that. He was able to charge you 100 bucks for the ticket and 800 bucks for himself to take away. His own personal profit margin. And imagine as well that, um, you know, instead of being a good sort of city council, Adelaide City Council was a, a violent, suppressive foreign enemy that, that rules over us. Um, if you're imagining that in your head, you'd, you'd see that it's no surprise that people hated tax collectors back in that day. And yet, Jesus calls this man to follow him. And like Peter, before Levi got up, he left everything and he followed Jesus. Uh, the Pharisees and the, the other religious leaders who are around the place, they, they see Jesus hanging out with Levi and a, and a bunch of other dodgy people. And, and they ask him, look, why are you hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? And look at how Jesus responds. These are, these are just great verses. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You don't go to a doctor if you're in good health, do you? Doctors are there to, to heal sick people, people who need it. And in the same way, Jesus came to bring spiritual healing to spiritually sick people. So it's no surprise that here he is, hanging out with sinful people. Now, he's not saying that the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law, that they're righteous and that they don't need him. But rather, they, they think they are. They're, they're righteous in their own eyes. They don't see their need for spiritual healing. They don't see that sin is as big a problem for them as it is for the tax collector. And so the, the calling of both Simon and Levi that we see here shows us that, that Jesus came to save people who recognize the gravity of their sin, who genuinely repent and who wholeheartedly choose to follow Jesus. And if these are the sorts of people who Jesus calls, then it shapes the way that we think about, firstly, ourselves, secondly, the people around us, and thirdly, about Jesus. Um, so firstly, ourselves. Uh, some of you will know that I've been in and out of hospital a little bit lately, and one of those stints I was sitting in the emergency department at Modbury Hospital, and, and it was awful. You know, I went in there, I got triaged, they told me to grab a seat, and I'm looking at the seats, and there's just sick people sitting everywhere. There's people coughing and spluttering, and I had to sort of grab a seat between two sick people and just, all right, this isn't really where I want to be. It's been a pretty revolting environment to be in. Uh, it was only when I went to the toilet and looked at the reflection of myself in the mirror that I realized, oh yeah, I don't look so great myself. I'm one of the sick people. As well, the people that walk in probably look at me and, and think the exact same thing they do about everyone else. And, and the same thing is true spiritually about all of us. Uh, my biggest problem is sin. And my only hope is that Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. And it's worth just, just hitting the pause button here and, and asking, have you made a clear decision in your life to, to turn away from sin and to start following Jesus? Have you repented? 
if that's something that you're, you're thinking through for yourself right now or, or you're not quite sure if you're at that point or if, if you've done that, I'd love you to have a, have a chat with me or, or with Stephen afterwards, maybe, maybe a friend here who you trust, maybe your youth leader if you're, you're one of our high schoolers. Um, we'd love you to, to, to really think that through and, and to have someone to be able to talk that through with. We're going to hear a little bit later about our, our Life Series, which is coming up in May, which is an opportunity to, to come along and to spend four nights hearing about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. Um, that might be an opportunity for you to come along and, and to think more about what it looks like to build your life on Jesus. Um, so changes how we think about ourselves. But secondly, if Jesus came to call sinners, it changes how we think about other people around us. Now, it's, it's easy to find someone less impressive than me in, in some sort of area and someone who I can measure up well against, someone who I can feel good when I compare myself with. And on the same level, there's always going to be someone more impressive than me, someone who's just going to make me despair every time I try to compare myself with them. The, the gospel takes us all and shows us that we all need Jesus equally. It, it puts us on a level playing field. It shows us that it's pointless comparing ourselves favorably or unfavorably with the people around us. And in particular, Luke wants us to see that Jesus has a deep heart for the lost, for sinful Simon, for dodgy Levi, for for all people, for all of us. And he wants us to have the same heart as well. Um, He calls us not only to follow him, but also as we heard in our all-ages spot just before, to join in his rescue mission and to call more people to follow him. He says to Simon, look, it's not fish that you're trying to reach anymore. It's people. Alicia, my wife, had um, quite bad back pain for for quite a while, um, a few years ago, and someone eventually put her onto a really good physio who, who worked out what the, what the issue was, and, and managed to, to trace it back to the root, and eventually got her got her pain free. And so now, if, if Alicia meets someone who's got bad back pain, the, she tells him, "Look, this is the guy who healed me. This this is the guy who, who healed my back pain." And it's a bit like that for us, isn't it? We want to tell people about the man who healed us. In fact, we have to tell people about the man who healed us. Their, their salvation depends on it. And I hope that for all of us, there, there are people who we're praying for. Friends, family members, neighbors, workmates, praying that they, that they come to know Jesus. I hope that, that we're on the lookout constantly for those next steps that we can take in leading them to Jesus. And that with Easter coming up, we're, we're thinking and we're praying about who we can invite along to church. Do I have the same heart for the lost that Jesus does? The heart that took him to the cross to save me. Uh, So thirdly, this passage changes how we think about Jesus. Jesus didn't come along to associate with the the religious elites or, or the comfortable crowd. He came to call sinners to repentance. Jesus has a heart for the lost, the broken, the hurting, the marginalized. Peter is afraid, and, and so Jesus tells him, don't be afraid. Um, the guy with the leprosy, Jesus heals him by touching him. Now, Jesus was a pretty powerful guy. Jesus could have healed this guy from 100 miles away without even looking at him, but, it, but he touches him. 
Because he would have known that this, this man wouldn't have experienced human touch for years. People would have been avoiding him like the plague. Jesus leans into our brokenness. He doesn't shy away from our brokenness. He leans into it. How good was it hearing Lloyd's story just earlier? Jesus didn't just sit there and wait for Lloyd to get his act together, um, get his life together before making an appearance to to him. Jesus met Lloyd in the depths, just like he does for all of us. So if you're feeling weighed down by your, by your sin or, or by your circumstances, you can look to Jesus. Because he didn't come just to place more burdens on us and to, and to make us feel bad about ourselves or to, or to make us feel like we've got to do more. He came to bring healing. He doesn't make us earn our way up to him. No, he lets us fall on his mercy. Um, I've got a, got a two-year-old boy called Rory, and, and sometimes I look at him as I'm putting him to bed or whatever, and I, and I, and I wonder, does he have any idea how much I love him? Does he have any idea? He knows that I give him food and I, and I play with him and I'm pretty well disposed to him most, most of the time, but um, does he know how loved he is? And yet my love is nothing compared with Jesus' love. Nothing at all compared with the love that Jesus feels for me and, and for each one of us. We're simply more loved than we can ever imagine. And so we've seen the healing that Jesus offers, the people who Jesus calls, and that brings us to the change that Jesus demands. Uh, the religious leaders ask Jesus, look, if your disciples are so religious, then why don't they fast all the time like our disciples do? And Jesus says to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? And Jesus is saying to them, I am the bridegroom. Now, the Bible uses this illustration of marriage to, to symbolize the relationship between Jesus and his people. Jesus is the groom and we're his bride. And as Jacinta and Daniel are going to learn in a, in a couple of weeks' time, a, a marriage means big change. Jesus is saying, look, now that I've come, things have changed. Something new has replaced the old. Uh, Jesus then uses a couple of illustrations of something new and something old that, that don't fit together. And the illustrations are, are a little bit culturally dated now, but, but you get the idea behind them. He tells us you don't use a new bit of clothing to patch up an old bit of clothing because they'll expand at different rates. Uh, you, don't use, you don't pour new wine into old wineskins because the new wine will stretch and break the wineskins. Um, if you do either of those things, you're going to ruin both the new and the old. They don't work together. So what's the new thing that Jesus is talking about here, do you think? What's well, his lordship? It's the good news that he came to proclaim about the kingdom of God, the healing that he brings, the repentance that he calls for, the type of people who he calls to follow him, the hope that he offers. What about the old thing? Is it the, the Old Testament law? Well, not exactly, because Jesus tells us elsewhere that, that he came to fulfill the Old Testament law, not, not to get rid of it. It's more like the system that the Jewish leaders had created using the Old Testament law. 
Uh, so as we read through the New Testament, the picture that we get of the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders in that day is, is that they'd found their security not just in obeying the law that God had given to them, but, but by adding lots of requirements to the law and, and obeying all of those requirements just to make sure that, that God had to be pleased with them. So in other words, they were, they were earning God's favor by their own obedience. And Jesus says to them, look, you can't keep the old, but also have the new. You can't try to earn your way to God, but also believe in a gospel of grace. They're just two incompatible ways of living. And the challenge here for us is that we, we can't just bolt Jesus onto the way that we want to live or to the way we want to think about ourselves and expect that it's going to be a neat fit. Jesus simply doesn't fit into our way of looking at the world. Now, he, he redefines it from top to bottom. I can't just bolt Jesus onto my belief that, that I'm a good person at heart who doesn't really need to be saved. I can't do that. I can't just bolt Jesus onto the pleasure that I get comparing myself with, with people who I think are not doing as well as I am. And I can't bolt Jesus onto my life, but then spend my life living for, for money and popularity and success or whatever else and, and putting all of those things ahead of Jesus. Um, whatever the old is for us, Jesus won't neatly fit into it. Because he calls us to something far too radical, doesn't he? He calls us to, to admit that we need saving, to admit that, that we need to fall on his mercy and to leave everything and follow him. And that's not going to come naturally to anyone. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he's demanding a big ongoing change in our lives. And he gives that little warning at the end of the passage, doesn't he? That, that people who, given the choice between the new and the old, will be, will be tempted to stick with the old because it's just easier to stay that way. Jesus is demanding a big ongoing change in our lives. We can't just bolt Jesus onto our old lives because the new doesn't line up with the old. And when we try to, try to bolt Jesus onto our old way of life, it's, it's a bit like marrying someone, but then, but then telling them, well, by the way, I've already got a wife, <laughs> but she plays tennis on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so you're, I'm all yours then. It's worth reflecting on whether there are subtle ways that, that we do that with Jesus. Uh, but then we've got Simon and Levi who left everything and follow Jesus. They, they don't bolt Jesus onto their lives. Everything in their lives comes under Jesus' lordship. Now, this sort of change in our lives, it's not a quick process. And in fact, it's not one that we can, we can just do by ourselves. It's one that God helps us with by his Holy Spirit and through his word, changing us, reminding us of Jesus' gracious, undeserved love for us the spiritual healing that Jesus brings, the unlikely people who Jesus calls to follow him, and the radical change that Jesus demands in our lives. Jesus came to save people who recognize the gravity of their sin, who genuinely repent, and who wholeheartedly follow him in his rescue mission. What a privilege to be part of that rescue mission with him. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the healing he freely offers us from our sins. 
And thank you that he came to call sinners and to use us in his rescue mission. Help us by your grace and for your glory to recognize our need for him more and more deeply each day, to rejoice in his grace more deeply each day, and to follow him more faithfully each day. Amen.